Hey everybody, this is Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church Adelaide and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you can have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our preaching team. I think every one of us is a creative and I want to talk about that tonight and hopefully give you a a little bit of proof. But I I guess I just want to start uh, by saying, uh, you know, my name's Mike and um, hi, um, I'm, I'm a creative. Um, I've, I've, I've been a creative, th- thanks. Um, I've been a creative for prob- probably about 10 years, or I've been, been admitting it to it for about 10 years. I think probably I was in denial before that, um, but now I've sort of, yeah, I had to come to terms with it. Um, had some family members mention I was creative, and, you know, some friends confronted me with it, um, and, and, and then uh, eventually I had kids, and you just come face to face with the idea that, I'm a creative. Now, when you have kids, it messes you up in just every conceivable way. You should still have children, but, <laughs> but it does. It does. <laughs> All the mothers in the room are too tired to cheer. Um, the, when you have kids and, and they start to grow and develop and you know, they, they start to respond and look around and you see them receiving these new ideas and coming up with new things to do, you suddenly realise that our creative potential is much bigger than we ever allowed. So my kids have this incredible um, dress-up box where they just have all sorts of stuff that we bought them over the years or people have bought them for birthdays, and it's great. And the thing is, though, kids don't care what they're dressing up in. You can give them anything, and they'll give it a crack. So my kids, for so many years, would come out, and I'd be like, hey, buddy, what you dressed up in? And they're like, I'm a pirate, but with a tutu and a ukulele. I'm like, sure you are. All right, let's go. What are you today? I'm Princess Leia in gumboots. Fantastic. Great. Proud of you. You know, this is what kids do. They're like, I see this. I could put it together. Why can't I be creative with that? Kids, you see, adults, we say, why? Kids say, why not? Why not? Why can't I? Why couldn't I give that a crack? And I think as adults, sometimes we create a box for ourselves and then we blame some sort of system or blame some external person or blame God as if he's put us in a box when really we've just decided this is a space we're comfortable in and we don't want to go over there, thanks very much. But kids shock us out of that. They remind us that there's a creative in all of us, there's an entrepreneur waiting to happen inside each and every one of you. And I think God has designed us this way. A couple of, couple of stories I want to share about creativity. My brother-in-law is a very creative guy, and I don't know if he would see himself this way. But this is how I know. Uh, we bought an air conditioner for our upstairs office because in the summer, it's basically like being in a sauna but carpeted, which is exactly as fun as it sounds. And so we bought an air conditioner for the upstairs office. And um, I was there with my father-in-law and a couple of other far more competent people than me. And we were looking at it thinking, oh, okay, how are we going to do this? And my brother-in-law turns up and he looks at it and he goes, okay, you need to get these four things from Bunnings and then we'll put it together. I'm like, how did you know? That's, that's not on the box. That's not on the box, which is my only guide for how to do this. And even then, frankly, it's not happening. But even then, and he goes, no, 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 if you get these four things, we put them together. And so he did, and then he got it, and then he just adjusted a few things, and bang, he's installed an air conditioner, but he hasn't just picked it up and put it there. He's installed some stuff around it to make sure it lasts. This is a creative problem-solving solution. This is a handyman looking at something creatively and coming up with a solution, which is why it was no surprise when Jim created a box from scratch, because that's how he thinks. He's a creative, 
problem-solving, handy guy. This is what people can be like in their creativity. What else? Uh, imagine, imagine being the first person to design a tunnel. Okay, just bear with me for a sec. People are going, ah, oh, we need to go from A to B. And someone else says, yeah, but there's a huge mountain. It'll take ages. And someone says, what if we went through the mountain? Like, I just want you to imagine how radical that would have been the first time someone said, through it? And the, everyone else said, you're an idiot. And then they started digging. And I'm like, this might just work. Tunnels, you say. You know, imagine, imagine that. Imagine being a teacher and you get given a class of 25 delightful students out of a class of 30. <laughs> out of a class of 30. And in that, for each and every child, at the end of the year, you have a goal. You say, I want them to pass this year. I want them to feel like they're succeeding as a human being. I want their parents to be happy so they're not on my case. <laughs> I want all these things to happen. But every single one of these children comes with different skills, different needs, different issues. And so you as a teacher have to map your way to this end. Everything is basically the same end. I want them to pass this year. I want them to feel like they're thriving as a human being. I want them to enjoy the year with me. But the way they get there is going to be different 30 times over. There is creativity involved in every job. Doesn't matter about your personality type. Doesn't matter about your occupation. Doesn't matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You are creative. Here's why. It's because God's designed to that way. In the beginning, God creates. In fact, literally the first verse of the whole Bible is a creative verse. God created the heavens and the earth. He creates the light, the waters, the sun and stars, the vegetation and land, plants, fruits and animals. And he culminates this with his greatest creative act, you and I, humanity. Creation that independently, consciously goes about creating. That's a pretty impressive act. And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we hear this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Can you hear how eager God is for you to understand that you are not just created, you are created in the image of God? It's called the theology of the Imago Dei, that you are actually created from the image of God, which means every time you look at another person, they are created in the image of God. And as a humanitarian effort, that's pretty impressive. Then he sends you out to be fruitful and multiply, which means that God views sex as ultimately a creative act, an act of creation. And whether you read the creation narrative as literal or figurative, as a description or as a story, the key point is this, that all our best theology and all our best science points to this idea that at some point there was nothing and then there was something. There was a creative creative act. Creation done ex nihilo, out of nothing, out of a creative void, because there's an absence of an idea before an idea is birthed. You are created by a creator, and so in his image, you are naturally creative, and this means you are a creative, whether you believe it or not. That means when you say, I'm not creative, I get to say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are creative. 
God has endowed you with creative capacity, the ability to create, like him, ex nihilo, to look for the absence of an idea, the absence of a concept, and bring in an idea, bring in a concept. It's not quite as stark as when God did it, but there's still this idea that where there is nothing, we get the chance to fill that void with something creatively. That's a pretty special gift. So whether you believe it or not, you're a creative being, and I think, Encounter, it's time to discover your creative capacity. That you come to know that being up on stage is not what makes a person creative in the slightest. Now, we have a couple of cultural issues with creativity. Uh, And I've called this message, Living the Dream. Living the Dream. And we we call it the series, Here's to the Dreamers, because this is what it's for. My prayer is that actually God will start to spark some dreams in you during this series. Because one of the problems that we have as human beings is a lack of creativity a lack of ideas, a lack of being able to see past our present circumstances into the future that God wants for us. There's more for us when we look for it. If we can allow ourselves to be future-focused, allow ourselves to have the Spirit of God working in and among us, beginning and birthing new things, but we've got to allow that to happen. So here's to the dreamers. A couple of cultural problems we have with creativity, though. The first one is tall poppy syndrome. Is everyone familiar with tall poppy syndrome? For those who aren't, because I feel like it probably doesn't get talked about quite as much as it might have done 10, 20 years ago. Tall poppy syndrome is basically the idea that in Australia, if you succeed, as in you you grow like a poppy above the rest, you're going to get chopped off until you're at the same level with everybody else. Basically, people don't like to see someone succeed because it gives them a big head. That's the idea there. Now, the... I promise I'm not saying this is a shot against another nation because I got into trouble a few weeks ago because I made some jokes about a country which shall remain nameless. Um, but Americans do not have tall poppy syndrome. This is, this is not an American problem. Americans, generally speaking, affirm and encourage the idea of going to chase your dream, right? The American dream is its own concept, Right? But in Australia, it's the other way around. If you bring yourself up, people are like, stop being so arrogant, bring yourself down. So we've got this, this tall poppy syndrome that is kind of stopping some people and has stopped many people from pursuing their dreams over the years. But on the other hand, in in exactly the same way, we've suddenly got participation certificate culture, which says everything you do is brilliant. Like, I mean, all I did was walk here today. Yeah, but you could have taken a car. Like, okay, thanks. Here's a gift certificate. You know, this is a real thing. In junior sports, a lot of junior sports, they don't bother keeping score because they don't want people to feel sad if they lose. Can I tell you something? My kids play junior sport. Everyone knows who's, who's winning and who's losing. They all know because they are playing to win. Yes, they're playing to improve their skills, they're playing to have fun, they're playing for fitness, all of that. But part of the joy of playing competitive sports is playing to win. And so all the kids, it doesn't matter if they're 5 or 15, they all know what the score is. This, this whole idea doesn't work. Erwin McManus, who's a pastor in Los Angeles, runs a church called Mosaic and is the most creative pastor I've come across and has been championing this for decades. And I'll probably quote him a lot in the next month, so get used to the name. Erwin McManus says this, The great tragedy in our culture is we've raised up a generation that we've told, you're awesome, before they ever risked deeply or profoundly. And I keep telling people, look, you're only going to go as far as your wounds will take you. We're going to get into that a bit more next week. But this is why we've got this unbalanced sense of tall poppy syndrome and the participation certificate culture just kind of 
cancelling each other out in negative ways. But the second cultural issue we have is something I see a lot more nowadays, which is kind of a, it's been done. It's been done. It's cliched. I've seen it before. You copy that off somewhere else. And it's, it's basically the tall poppy syndrome, but in a sort of keyboard warrior, from a distance, criticism way. It's like, no, no, no. Criticism is its own form of creativity. You got to be pretty careful with that mindset. I think criticism is largely an effort to stomp on people's creativity. Every now and then, there is a role for the critique, right? But the best critique comes from people who are actually within and can self-critique or can critique their own culture, can critique their own industry. You got to be very careful when you're just lobbing bombs from afar because apparently that's what Facebook and Twitter is for now. This is the other cultural issue we have. We mock everything as cliched, decide that everything is obvious, so why try anything new? Maybe Solomon was right. There's nothing new under the sun. The problem is this line of thinking is steeped in failure, isn't it? Like if we want anything to go forward on earth, if we want to see a future that is brighter than our past, we have to be creative. We have to come up with concepts and ideas that haven't been done before. If you always do what you've always done, you're always going to get what you've always got. This is the thing. And so I want to I dig into the life of Joseph a little bit to show you and, and to discuss over these next four weeks that you're far more creative than you might realize and you're designed this way. And we're anchoring it in the life of Joseph in the Old Testament because he's one of the most fascinating guys where it comes to using gifts, living dreams. Right, so Joseph in, in 30 seconds. Joseph is, uh, was the second youngest son of the great patriarch Jacob, uh, who ends up being renamed Israel. So in, in effect, he's one of the sons of Israel, quite literally. And Joseph uh, grows up, and for a long time, he's the youngest son, so he's the favorite. The baby's always the favorite. Don't believe them if they tell you otherwise. And um, just pause a moment for all the youngest in the room to pat themselves on the back and say, knew it, yeah. <laughs> so the, Joseph is effectively the favorite. He's lavished with gifts by his father, and he's given in particular this special coat, you know, a fancy coat, makes him feel pretty flash. And so then he, uh, and then he has these dreams, and in these dreams, his father and his mother and his brothers are all bowing down to him, like the sun and stars bowing down. And he, because he's a bright guy, he tells them this, he tells them this. Believe it or not, his brothers don't enjoy that, so they lure him out they hit him over the head, basically, and sell him off to some Midianite slavers. The Midianite slavers on sell him to some Egyptians, and he starts working for a guy called Potiphar. He's working there, and he's actually thriving. He's a slave, but he's thriving, and the household is thriving. Then he has some false accusations made against him. And because he's a slave, he has no rights, thrown into prison. He's gone into even a deeper form of slavery again. While he's in prison, he gets the opportunity to interpret some dreams. And he does so, and he says, hey... Just all I ask is that if this goes well for you, remember me. Spoilers, they don't remember him. So he languishes in jail for another two years before finally Pharaoh has some dreams, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And one of these guys who Joseph interpreted the dream says, yeah, that's right. There's actually a guy, it's been two years. He has been in prison for two years. That's my bad, I'll own it. Um, he can interpret dreams. So they drag him out. He interprets dreams. Pharaoh puts him in charge of the land and he actually ends up overseeing a time of feast and a time of famine, and he oversees it in such a way that it allows both Egypt to flourish and his family to flourish. And there's a big reconciliation that happens later. The story of Joseph is fascinating. It's, it covers basically the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. Check it out for yourself. We are just going to dig into part of that tonight. And um, 
I, I want to try and move through it pretty quickly. It's a big passage, but I want to try and move through it quickly because there's a few key things we really need to see about Joseph. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 41, verses 14 to 40. And again, I'm going to try and move through it quickly. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind you. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. Okay? From the dungeon. This, I, I need you to get the setting from where Joseph is beginning. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I'm not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. That's a dangerous thing to say to a man with the power of Pharaoh. He says, I can't do what you said I can do, but God can. Joseph immediately, glory to God, pointing up to God. He's saying, God is the one with the true power here, not me. It continues. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows came up from the Nile and grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, weak, very sickly and thin, came up. I've never seen such sickly ones as these in all the land of Egypt. Then the thin, sickly cows ate the first seven well-fed cows. When they devoured them, you could not tell that they had devoured them. Their appearance was as bad as it had been before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, coming up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed the seven good ones. I told the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. Hold this point here. This is Joseph using his first gift, the capacity to interpret dreams given to him by God. Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do, the seven good cows, the seven good years, and the seven good heads, the seven good years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, sickly cows that came up after them are seven bad years, and the seven worthless, scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. He's giving them an image of the future. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out soon. So now, now I love this bit, let Pharaoh... Look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Just a good tax. Double GST. Let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the city so they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that would take place in the land of Egypt, then the country would not be wiped out by the famine. Now, when we read it, we just read it as words most of the time. But I want you to remember, this guy has just been taken from the dungeons. Pharaoh says, interpret my dream. And he does. And then he says, so this is what you need to do. And get on it quick, or we're all going to die. Pharaoh, his most likely response is to say, thanks for the interpretation. Go and kill him. <laughs> He's a slave speaking like this to power. You don't do this. But Joseph has two key gifts. It's not just the interpretation of dreams. Joseph has a key gift of administration. He's incredibly gifted with the ability to look at a situation and go, I know how I can make this better. 
I know how I can make this work more efficiently, to streamline it, to take it from A to B in the best possible way. And maybe some of you have the same gift here tonight and you've never considered that a gift, but it is. Take it from someone who doesn't have that gift. It is. So Joseph looks at it and he says, Pharaoh, I can't just interpret your dream. I can't just give you a spiritual solution. Let me give you a practical solution because you need both. You need the spiritual solution that God is explaining to you and you need the practical solution so that change will happen. And Joseph actually affects change through this. And this is what happens. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Thank goodness for that. And he said to them, can we find anyone like this? A man who has God's spirit in him. Pharaoh notices the spirit of God at work. Pharaoh, who is off worshipping Anubis and all the other Egyptian gods, Isis, and all of those, is worshipping those. But he says, there's something different about Joseph. All my court magicians couldn't do anything, but this slave, this Hebrew slave, can. Can we find anyone like this? Not because he's great, because the spirit of God is at work in him. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning, as wise as you are. You will be over my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only I as king will be greater than you. Quite the morning for Joseph. <laughs> From the dungeons to second in charge over all of Egypt. Now, it's a very long passage. Thanks for listening. But it tells us a lot. Because here is a man plucked from obscurity who does a few important things. The first is this. He's given an opportunity to use his gift and he obeys. He simply obeys. Pharaoh says, here is my dream. Joseph says, God will interpret it. And he does. The second thing is this. He then uses his opportunity to take a risk and offer wise advice based on a different gifting that Pharaoh didn't know he had. Joseph wasn't a one-tool guy, right? Like He could play offense and defense. He was a three and D wing. He could do it all. He, he was the kind of guy who said, yes, okay, I can interpret dreams, but can I tell you how this is going to be even better if I offer my gift of administration alongside it and show you what you can do from this dream? It's not just about going, here's the interpretation of the dream. Good luck with that. I'm off back to the dungeons. Because, uh, you know, also, guess who's not getting fed first if they're in a famine? <laughs> But the third one, and the most important, is this. He gives glory to God. Again and again, Joseph says, I, I, I can't do this, but God can. He'll do it. He'll sort it out. He'll interpret it. Don't worry about it. God's got this covered. And Pharaoh, by the end of their conversation, says, yes, he does. Joseph has used evangelism without even intending to. He's just using his gifts, and Pharaoh is beginning to give glory to God. I wonder how many of you could do this. Wonder how many of you could do this. So Joseph obeys the order, takes a risk, and gives glory to God. The other bit you need to hear is that this happens after 13 years of slavery. 13 years of slavery. And I want to focus more on this next week, but for some of us here, we stop pioneering because we've had one setback. We have one setback and we decide it's too hard. God isn't with me in this. I've heard wrong. Joseph, for 13 years, said, God is faithful. I'll use my gift wherever I am. I'm in Potiphar's house? Fine. I'm in the dungeons? Fine. I'm ruling over all of Egypt? Fine. I will use my gifts faithfully. Glory to God. And I, I, I just think that you need to know, if you are going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to be willing to take a risk, you are courting failure. And that's all right. 
because we grow from failure. Jenny reminded me of this the other week. I honestly forget that Encounter's our second church plant, and the first one tanked big time, right? Like, it, it, was, it was a disaster by the end of it. It was, it was not good. Um, we had Jared, our budding rose, who came out of it. But, um, but like I said, a disaster. <laughs> it, was, it, it, it was. Where it's gone to now, what would have happened if we'd stopped? The same thing is there for you. Forget about our story. What's your story? What's the pioneering that God needs you to do next? Not what's just happened, but next. There's always a next in the kingdom of God, but we need to pursue it. Sometimes it takes failure first, but as Wayne Gretzky said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. 100% of the shots you don't take. Or as Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof. He really said that, by the way. (laughs) He's better at basketball than public speaking. (laughs) We get downcast after one failure. But Joseph knew his gifts, knew God, and pursued them with faithfulness. This is the call for us and our creative capacity, is to take what we have, discover it, nurture it, and use it for the glory of God. Again and again and again, in season and out of season, when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, when we're tired, when we're healthy, when we're sick, every time, using our gifts for the glory of God. We're not consumers. We're not passengers. We're partners in what God is doing here. Without Joseph's struggles, he never would have met Pharaoh. Just think about that. Think about that. If Joseph wasn't in prison, if he didn't use his gifts to interpret the baker and the cupbearer's dreams, he doesn't get a chance to meet Pharaoh. If he doesn't meet Pharaoh, he doesn't hear about what God is planning for Egypt. If he doesn't hear about what God's planning for Egypt, he can't intercede and do something about that. And ultimately what happens is his family is saved by coming to Egypt and being fed by Joseph in this position of power. Joseph using his gifts that no one ever would have gone, wow, what a creative administrator you are. Like, this isn't how we think, but this is how we are. You are gifted creatively as an administrator. There's really only one profession that I'm not super comfortable throwing creative in front of, and that's accountant, uh, because creative accountancy tends to get you put in prison. But... Even then, the way you care for your, your um, customers and clients, everything requires your creativity. Everything will require your creative gifts. It's time to start using them. Time to start birthing them. The point I want to make today is, is this. Joseph knew his gifts and he used them, and both he and the nation he lived in prospered. And this is more than simply saying, I want to make the world a better place. It's actually about God's purpose for all of creation. See, the kingdom of God, that God has started to break in with the coming of Jesus, is all about heaven reaching earth. Heaven is breaking into earth. And our job is to pursue that. The kingdom of God is the end result of our holiness and our actions. The kingdom of God is the end result of justice and our actions. All of our worship and devotion is about seeing heaven on earth. And when Jesus comes back again, he will fulfill that completely. But in the meantime, we get about that business. What are we doing, friends? What are we doing? Oh, Some quick practical steps, and then we'll finish up. Four things I want to give you some advice on. 
as you try and be creative. This is my best effort as a creative writer to try and, and give you some practical steps like Joseph gave Pharaoh, some practical steps. Number one, try new things. I know, it's obvious. It's a cliche, it's been done. Yeah, I know, I know. But try new things. You'd be amazed how you won't get what you've done before if you try new things. Now, you're going to try something. Again, i got kids. We feed them different meals. Do you know what they say most of the time? That sucks. I hate it. Sometimes, though, they love it. Sometimes they try something like, that's actually awesome. And sometimes they don't love it, but what they learn new is how to communicate that in a better way. Or they learn... <laughs> that was not my favourite, but also you made it well. This is honestly the sort of thing kids say. It's incredible. But this is them learning. This is them trying new things. This is them growing as a person and exploring their creative capacity to communicate, to taste and see that the world is good because God created the world. This is what you need to do. One of my favorite things to do when I go to foreign countries is to go to coffee shops. It's also one of my favorite things to do in this country. But... <laughs> But what I love about it in foreign countries, where I go, some, I've just been to the Philippines, and so um, when, I, when I was over there, when we had the chance, I was like, oh, great, I want to explore these coffee shops. Partly because I like good coffee, but partly because do you know what I have to do? I have to go on a journey to get there. I'm going to see more of the city. I'm going to explore a place I've never been before. I'm going to be open to experiences that I haven't had before. This is what happens when you try the new. What do you need to try that's new today? Second thing is this, be willing to fail. Just be willing to fail. We've touched on this already. But are you genuinely willing to fail at things? One of, one of the greatest challenges uh, as a leader in any sort of leadership role is that when somebody underneath you is trying something that you know won't work or you know you can do better, is to still let them do it. It's incredibly difficult, but that's how we learn. We don't learn just from reading a manual because who reads a manual? Like, have all of you written the read the terms and conditions when you signed up for iTunes? Like, come on, get out of here. You don't learn that way. You learn by exploring the product. You learn by exploring ideas. And sometimes when you do that, you stuff it up. You fail. You try an endeavor and it crashes, but you learn and you get up and you try again. And one of the things we're going to do over the next few weeks is hear from some leaders and entrepreneurs and creatives in different areas about when they've succeeded and when they've failed and how they've been able to do that. But you've got to be willing to fail. If you're not willing to fail, you're not really willing to succeed. The third thing is this. Find a problem that needs solving. If you go, yep, yeah, I try new things. Yeah, I think I'm willing to fail. I don't know, but whatever. I don't know where to start. Look around you. What bugs you? What really bugs you? What do you think bothers God? Where's a problem that needs solving? So there's a guy called Boyan Slats. Has anybody heard of this guy? He's a Dutch entrepreneur. He's 24 years old, and he's invented this project called the Ocean Cleanup Project. He looked at the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, this huge patch in the ocean full of plastics, and he said, what if we could do something about that? That bothers me. There shouldn't be that much plastic in the ocean. And so at the tender age of 19 or whatever he was, he began to pursue a, a, a way to bring in plastic so it can be recycled, bring it back to land so it can be recycled. As you can imagine, it's a fairly large endeavor. He's still not even 25 yet, and he's given it a crack. They just went out last year, or I think it was last year, and brought the whole thing out, and you know what happened? It was a tremendous failure. Tremendous failure. And I was watching a YouTube clip he posted the other day where he said, yeah, here are some things that didn't work. Here are some things we're going to do. We're getting up. We're trying it again. 
because this is a problem that needs solving. And he looked at it and went, I don't, I don't think I can live with myself if we don't try and solve it, so I'm going to try and solve it. Where's our spirit to do that? Where's our spirit to actually believe we can solve big problems? And the final one of it is this. Give glory to God. One of the best creative acts you can do is to give glory to God. Here's what I mean by this. One of the reasons I think we struggle with our creativity is we believe that creativity is designed to make us feel better about ourselves or to call ourselves creatives. You know, move to Los Angeles or Paris and say, I'm a creative. That's what I am. You know, or maybe it's about creative control. And that's not always a bad thing. There are people who have been yearning to be creative and they haven't had an opportunity, so they've launched out on their own and suddenly they have creative control, but then maybe it becomes about the control, about holding it off at bay. But our capacity to be creative isn't about us. It's about God. It's about the kingdom we're being called to build. The creative process shouldn't be self-indulgent. It should be worshipful. Creation is in service to God, which means our creations are also in service to God. This is what we were created for. We don't simply create any old thing. When we create as followers of Jesus, we create with the intent to magnify God and genuinely make the world a better place. It's not a cliche. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called the kingdom of God. And everyone who follows Jesus is called to take a part of it. So tonight I want to ask you, what's your part? What's the creative act that God is calling you into? What is the dream you haven't dared to dream because someone maybe told you it was a bad idea? Maybe someone called you an idiot, told you you'd never amount to anything. So many people are just struggling to overcome that. I'm here to tell you differently. You were created with purpose. With purpose for a purpose. God created you with creative intent so that you could go about in the act of creation, mimicking your maker to bring the kingdom of God. What are you going to do today? Erwin McManus again says this, the most important medium God creates through is human. The most brilliant work of art is when you take a human life and you help translate that into its most beautiful expression. As a follower of Jesus, I'm always challenged by the parable of the talents. I won't go through the whole thing, but basically Jesus tells a story about a master who goes away and he gives one person five talents, another two, and another one. And a talent was a unit of money back in Jesus' time. And it just happens to be a, a brilliant translation for us as we're considering gifts and talents as well. Because the person with the five talents works and creates and thinks and innovates and brings five more. And the master comes back and says, well done. Here's even more talents. And the person with two works and innovates and creates and comes up with two more. And the master comes back and gives him the same praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. Look what you've done with what you had. Because let's be honest, we're not all graced with the same talents equally. That's okay. You're still graced and talented. But there's this other guy, this other servant with one talent. And he buries it in the ground so that when the master comes back, he can say, ha, still got it. Still got it. And the master takes him to task. He says, you've wasted the talent I've given you. 
I'm going to take it away and give it to the ones who are using their talents for good. I sometimes think we're like that. We're so afraid of stuffing up that we put our talent in the ground and just judge other people who are trying to pioneer and use their talents from afar. What if instead of doing that, we put more colour in the world? What if instead of doing that, we uncovered our talent and used our gifts for the glory of God to see the kingdom of God come about? Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. For more information and resources, please check out our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on your podcast provider. Have an amazing day. God bless.